Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to start at verse 19, and we're going to go the whole way through verse 39. I'm going to read the entire passage for this morning, and then we'll pray and jump into it bit by bit. The author of Hebrews writes, Therefore, brothers or sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled under the foot the Son of God and who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggling with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. And you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive that what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay." But my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us through your word. We pray you would stir us and awaken us to have a greater vision of what Jesus has accomplished, a greater vision of why it's so important to gather with your people in community, a greater vision of the good news of the gospel that is to be shared with the lost. We ask that you would do many things this morning through your preached word. We ask this in your name. 
Amen. Well, if you've been tracking um, with the book of Hebrews, I want to just kind of let you know where we're at. If you haven't been tracking, um, just to get you up to speed. So the, the book of Hebrews was written by an unknown author who was a pastor. And most people think that the book of Hebrews is best understood as a sermon. So it is a letter, but it really reads more as a sermon being preached. And from chapter 5, verse 1, to chapter 10, verse 18, the author, the pastor, has been um, in great detail explaining how Jesus is superior to the Old Testament law, how Jesus is the one who opens the way wide for all who trust in him. And I want you to let you in on a little secret. When, when we are preparing messages, when I'm preparing messages for a sermon, there are two words that help me more than, than any other thing I do in sermon preparation. And I've been asking myself these two words for the last 17 years or so when I've been preparing sermons. And as pastors, we ask each other these words. And what made me think of these two words this morning is the author of Hebrews seems to have the same two words in his mind as well. Are you wondering what those two words are? The two words are this, so what? So what? So if you look at my paper notes at times, you'll see on the left-hand side of the margin, big S-O, what, with a question mark. So what? So what that Jesus is the perfect high priest? So what that he is superior to the Old Testament? Why does it matter? Why is it so important? And the reason the so what question is important is because it helps connect the dots between these grand truths of the Bible and how they apply to our daily lives. And the author of Hebrews seems to have a similar question in his mind. So from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1 to chapter 10, verse 18, he has this grand theological, really masterpiece of how sufficient and perfect Jesus is. And what he's going to do in verse 19, really pretty much to the end of the book, is he's going to connect dots. Because remember, when we started this, the whole push of this letter is to give Christians endurance, to keep following after Jesus, to keep running hard after Jesus. And so we're going to see, he's going to answer these questions, this big question, so what? He's going to, you're going to see there's an encouragement for Christians. There's going to be a warning for those who turn away from Jesus. And there's going to be this great, future reward that awaits us all under the big idea of endurance. How will we make it in this world as followers of Jesus? So I, I summed it up in, in kind of four simple ways. The title today is Four Keys to Christian Endurance. Four Keys to Christian Endurance. So think marathon today, not sprinting events. We're going for the long haul. Think ultra marathon. Think 100 mile plus. Think lifelong journey. In a lifelong journey, the, the how we start isn't that important. It matters, but how we finish is much more important. This is a, a sermon pushing towards the finish line, the day when we go to meet the Lord face to face. So there's four keys that I, I see in this passage. The first key, key number one, we must draw near to God with confidence. 
Key number two, we must hold fast. Key number three, we must heed the warnings. And key number four, we must endure by faith, anticipating our great reward. And next week, Dave Marshall is going to develop um, the fourth point in great detail as he goes through Hebrews chapter 11. So the first point, key number one, we must draw near to God with confidence. Look at verse 19 again. Therefore, so in light of all he has just spoken about and written about from chapter 5, verse 1 to chapter 10, verse 18, that whole body of information, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, in light of Jesus being fully God, fully man, the perfect substitute, the perfect offering as the author of Hebrews has written about, who, when Jesus hung on the cross and God poured out his holy hatred for sin, Jesus absorbed all that punishment upon himself. So what that means is when we turn from our sins and trust in Jesus, we're saying that we could never earn God's favor. We could never do enough. We could never do enough to make up for the wrongs that we have done in thought, in word, in deed, in action. But we believe that Jesus paid for everything. That's the beauty of Christianity. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Not by our works, but by what Jesus has done. And the author of Hebrews, chapter after chapter, keeps drawing our attention towards how sufficient Jesus is. That his payment for sin was once for all. So what that means is if you trust in Jesus, your past sins have been paid for, your present sins have been paid for and covered, and your future sins have been paid for. You are in Christ once for all because of what Jesus has done. Now, that's not a license to sin. It's not a license to rebel against the Lord, as we will see in a few moments. But it is good news that we really are saved and forgiven, and we can enter God's presence with confidence. See, he's pushing at this idea of confidence. And the confidence isn't that we had a good week. The confidence isn't that we were nice to the people at our workplace or that we were nice to our family members on the way to church. I'm sure you were all nice to them, but maybe one or two of you weren't. Or that you were in God's word day after day, week after week, month after month. That's a good thing to do. But our confidence in approaching the Lord has everything to do with what Jesus has done for us. And because Jesus has opened the way, and paid for our sins, you and I can boldly, boldly enter God's presence with confidence. The way is just open 
wide. It's no longer closed to you if you are a believer in Jesus. And one of the effects of this is that your conscience should be clear. That even the worst thing you can remember doing, even that has been paid for in full by Jesus himself, who is fully God and perfect man, who died even for those sins. So if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, it's all paid for. Your conscience is cleansed by the shed blood of God himself. And one of the other effects that this should have is you can be assured that God really deeply, passionately loves you. Not just the mass of people that are in this room or the mass of people that say they're Christians, but he really deeply loves you. He really deeply cared so much about you that he sent his one and only son for you. Listen to how the Apostle Paul captures this idea. He writes this in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So he's talking about how he became a Christian. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So if you're a believer, we live by faith, by trusting in what Jesus has done. Now listen to this part. This is the part I pray would become stamped in your mind and hearts. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice what the Apostle Paul doesn't say. Who loved the church and gave himself for the church. That would be two true statements. He could have said that. But what did he say? Who loved me and gave himself for me. We know from the Bible that the, the Apostle Paul, whom Jesus loved, was responsible for the death of Christians before he was a Christian. He had blood on his hands. He was a guilty, guilty man. He persecuted Jesus' church. And then he was saved. And then he writes these incredible words, who loved me and gave himself for me. One of the effects of Jesus being this perfect high priest is that you would know he loves you. He loves you. Put your name in there. He gave himself for you. One of our prayers for this series is that you would really come to know and experience and believe in the, the deepest core of your being that God loves you so very, very much. What we haven't been doing, our goal of this series as we've been preparing and preaching and teaching it, isn't to prepare you to take a test that has questions like, explain the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and what that means according to the law of Moses. And you fill that out in the test. And how does Jesus, how is Jesus the fulfillment of the new law? How is he uh, the better high priest, we're, we're not studying for an exam. We, we want you to know those things. But we want you to know those things because they will have an effect on how you relate to God. It will have an effect on how confident you are in God's love for you. It will have an effect on how bold you are in praying 
big prayers to the God who loves you. See, this is incredible news that we have been forgiven. We've been free, that you can be absolutely confident if you are in Jesus, the way to God's presence is fully open and that door will not close. You might remember in the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve sin, they get kicked out of the garden. They get kicked out of the presence presence of God and there's a cherubim with a sword that you can't come back into the presence and in the Old Testament is this unfolding of this incredible story of God's plan of redemption and salvation well that sword that represented the judgment of God for sin was placed upon Jesus and that sword fell on Jesus and Jesus took that punishment so what that means for us as believers, the way's open once for all. It cannot shut. So this good news, I want you to just think about some other aspects of this new good news. Because this good news is to be a call to action for believers in Jesus. We've been rescued from God's wrath. We've been freed from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. We learned a few weeks ago that Jesus ushered in the new covenant that Ezekiel and Jeremiah prophesied about. And with that new covenant comes a new heart. Comes God's spirit comes inside of us. And we, we actually have power to obey the Lord where we didn't before the supernatural reality. But it's a call to action, which brings us to the second key to endurance. We must hold fast. We must hold fast. What must we hold fast to? Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We must hold fast to the confession of our faith. Jesus is the hope of the world. And if you know Jesus, cling to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Do not lose your grip on the uniqueness of Jesus and what he has accomplished on the importance of Jesus, and what he has accomplished, on, and the absolute truthfulness of Jesus. He alone solves the problem of how a sinful human being can relate to a holy God. There's no other answer that is sufficient to that great dilemma. Jesus alone is the hope of the world. We need to hold on to him, cling to him, says in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Without wavering. There are times where we waver and he has to hold us, but we're to keep grabbing a hold. Like, you know, maybe you've ever seen an image where um, people are mountain climbing and they, they, they just have to grip. And they are gripping as hard as they can with their fingertips. And you can see the, the veins and the muscles in their forearms just bulging out because they are holding on for their very life. Hold on to Jesus for your very life. You are saved by Jesus. 
Your salvation isn't dependent on your grip, but because he has gripped you, grip him back. Hold on to him. Hold on to his promises. His word is trustworthy. These 66 books of the Bible are unique. There's nothing like the Bible in all the world. It is the only book that has been inspired by God. One of the things that's perplexing at times as a pastor, maybe just as a Christian, is how Christians for thousands of years have believed this book. Men and women have died in the translating of this book and in the the preservation of this book to get it into the hands of the common people. And there are some that within a few minutes of watching a TikTok video or a YouTube video of an unknown person who says something that pokes a hole in the Bible, they, it's enough that, that it confuses and they close the book and they turn on Jesus and they, they lose their grip. Now, it's often a lot more complicated than that, but a two-minute video can send people far away from the only hope of the world. You can trust God's word. He is faithful. Don't lose your grip on Jesus or his promises or his word. We're to hold fast to Jesus and his promises. We're to hold fast to God's people. Look at verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. One of the things we know about the the original recipients of the the letter to the Hebrews is they were under pressure. They were most likely under persecution. They were were, um, under threats, and it sounded like threats were mounting more and more. And so there was a temptation for them to circle the wagons, go into self-preservation mode, and not gather as God's people. That temptation is not unique to them. I think that is a a good summary temptation of the last several years in our country, maybe throughout the world. So let's just walk through this slowly. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. You have been saved, and you have been, the moment you, you called on Jesus, you became part of the universal church throughout the world and throughout history. So even if you were an only child, you inherited a huge family the moment you looked at Jesus and trusted in him. And you're to be part of a local gathering of Jesus' followers. That's called a church. And you have gifts and abilities that are unique to you, that are to make up the body of Christ. And you're to use those gifts and abilities for the glory of God and for the good of others. So listen to verse 25. So we're to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the day, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Christian fellowship, Christian friendship, Christian relationships in a local church is God's means to help us persevere, to help us endure as Christians. And when we neglect it, it is the rare, rare, rare Christian, if 
if ever there was one that was in existence, that does better spiritually in isolation. Often what happens in isolation is we spiritually drift. Our mind takes over. Our, um, the whispers of Satan, is this, is this really true? Do you really need to be following Jesus? Do you really need to be looking to me so much, looking to the Lord so much? Nobody will know what you're doing. You, you, all these whispers happen. It's why we as your pastors encourage you to be in relationship with Christians, to come to church, to gather, if at all possible, with the saints, with believers. That's, that's local church life, both in the, the formal, let's say, the gathered church on Sunday mornings, uh, small group ministry, Bible study we have before church, but also just friendships with one another where you're, you're, you're encouraging one another to trust in the Lord. You're carrying each other's burdens. You're sharing the weight of life with one another. And you're praying for one another. One of the things that has happened because of the pandemic is people have gone into isolation. Now many have come back out, but some have not. Some, because of legitimate health reasons, have to, to, to be safe. But many are missing out on one being a blessing to the Lord's people and being blessed by the Lord's people. And so my prayer, no matter where you're at in this process, is you would take seriously verse 25 and ask yourself, how can I apply this verse, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day you're all near. See, health challenges are legitimate, and we have a number of people in our church who have really serious health challenges. And so for different periods of time, ha have to be very careful. But health challenges are not our greatest threat. Health challenges are not our biggest problem. They're legit. They are a real thing. I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. But there will be a day when we meet the Lord face to face. And when we meet the Lord face to face, you want ha to have had a life where you have been trusting in Jesus. You have been gripping hard after Jesus. You've been using your gifts and talents and abilities to love God and love his people. I'm kind of weird in a bunch of ways, and one of the ways I'm weird is on my birthday every year, which is in August, I like to do some kind of new physical feat, which if you're young, it's, it's, they're not impressive at all. They're just hard for me. So um, like one year I did swimming, like how many laps, however old I was, I had to swim nonstop. So I just come up with these different ideas. So last summer I thought, I want to ri ride a 100-mile bike ride nonstop in a day for my birthday. I told you, it's weird. Some of you like to eat cake. I like to hurt my body. So to do this bike ride, I didn't want to do it by myself. So I asked my friend Jason Killam, who's part of our church, to, to join me in the bike ride. And so we prepared um, a few months ahead of time. So I'm reading stuff. I'm watching YouTube videos. Um, I'm riding my bike. I'm learning about how to do this. Now, 
for a real bike rider, 100 miles is not a big deal. For a, a novice, it's a, it's a bigger deal. So I'm, I'm all in. And, and so my, my birthday comes, August 21st, 6.30 in the morning. We meet in my driveway. And Jason and I set out from my house. We're going to ride to Evansburg. And then we turn around and we ride back. So 100 miles, actually 102 miles. One of the cool things that Jason did is he had different people different friends show up on their bicycles at different parts of the route. So at the beginning, different people started to show up. And so it just brought this encouragement early on in the bike ride. Not only that, but Courtney Collins, who is a part of our church, her and her kids had different spots along the way where they just gave us food and drinks and um, just encouragement to kind of keep going. Jason went the whole 102 miles with me, and Courtney's husband, Zach, went the, pretty much the last almost 60 miles with me. So one of the things for these, these endurance things is the big, one of the biggest things you have to do is you have to eat a ton of food. So if you like to eat, these, this is kind of a fun thing. You have to eat pretty much nonstop the entire time because you're burning a lot of calories. So we're just eating salt and vinegar chips. We're, we're just fueling. Um, and that was really helpful. So we're drinking, we're fueling. And so you, you think about that compared to the Christian life. One of the ways to make it is to spend a lot of time with the Lord, to fuel on his word every day. If I did not eat or did not drink for 100 miles, I would not have made it for sure. And I probably would have had some major problems. But by far, the most absolute helpful thing of that day was people was the fact that I did not do this by myself. You know, the first 20 miles, you're excited, and from my house, pretty much you're going downhill. And then, you know, it starts to get harder. And different parts of your body start to hurt. And you, you're not thinking, does my body hurt? You're just thinking, what part of my body doesn't hurt right now? And I think, like, I'm going to think about my pinky. My pinky feels really good right now. And, and so you want to quit. You don't want to continue. And we would take turns leading. By the end, there's three of us just kind of taking turns. And we're all in pain, but we're encouraging one another towards the finish line, towards the goal. I would not have made it if Jason and Zach were not there alongside of me. You know what I didn't do in the middle of this fun but painful thing? I didn't pull up the YouTube videos I'd been watching Think, I wonder what that guy does right now. No, I needed real life encouragement. It doesn't mean YouTube videos, or in our case, YouTube sermons aren't a gift. Obviously, we do these, but we need people. God designed us to have people to encourage us. That's why one of his primary means of perseverance, of making it to the finish line, is to be in a church and be an active part of a church. Not only were Zach and Jason incredibly encouraging and helpful, and, you know, there are times, especially with Jason and I near the end, we're, we're like done talking. We don't even need to talk anymore. We're just like in pain and miserable, and, and, uh, but it's strangely fun all at the same time, and we're just kind of pushing each other along. But the thing about Jason and Zach is they were both good friends of mine as well, and, and as I was thinking about this, 
there have been points in my Christian life in recent years and difficulties that we have gone through as a church, there are moments where either Zach or Jason were this real life reminder of the promises of God. I can remember a number of years ago when our church was going through some major difficulties, Zach and I went on a, a jog together and he just listened and encouraged and pointed me to the Lord. And many times Jason has done the same thing. We're, we're not made to do this by ourselves. Books are good. Video sermons are good. But they're not the life of the church. So even if you have different health challenges, there are ways to, I think, apply being with God's people. Maybe it's through video, through phone calls, through one-on-one um, -on -one gatherings. Whatever fits, but we are to be part of a local church for your own sake and for the sake of the whole. So wherever this stirs, may we be a church that, that, that doesn't neglect the meeting together, that gets excited about being with the saints, being with God's people. We are not designed to run this Christian life by ourselves. God gives us people. One of the things I love about having been in this church for, for quite a while, I think I'm going on the 25th year this, this coming fall, is just knowing a lot of you and knowing the difficulties that many of you have walked through and seeing you Sunday after Sunday or talking to you in private and you just, you love the Lord. You trust the Lord. You praise Jesus. That does something inside of me that that encourages me if i'm if i'm growing weary as a christian that motivates me to keep on going see we're to not just it's good to do fun stuff together but we want to share our relationship with the lord with one another we want to pray for one another we want to encourage one another we want to stir one another up in the Lord, we want to be bold at sharing the gospel with one another. If one of us is getting off track, we want to lovingly correct one another and, and bring us back. See, we must heed this, this encouragement. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. As a pastor, you know, we, we have seen people in the last few years who are very vibrant as Christians just really struggle. They're still Christians. But as they had to isolate or they chose to isolate, it, it hasn't been good for their soul. It's not just true for Christians, though. If you talk to any teacher, any guidance counselor, any counselor or therapist or psychologist, they, they will say there has been a major uptick in people's struggles because primarily because of isolation and the things that that tempts people to. So let's resolve, let's encourage, let's continue to stir one another up. If you're aware of a Christian friend that you just know has just broken fellowship with people, pursue them. Gently pursue them. Check in on them. See how they're doing. 
Tell them you are praying for them. Ask them how you can pray for them more specifically. We all have burdens. In this room and those watching online, you could pick kids, grandkids, friends, coworkers, neighbors. You just pick a category and we got issues, right? We all got them. God designs it that we carry those together. One of the things I love about the fellowship group that I'm in is every time um, Brian will, will ask for prayer requests and, and they, he or Katie, they take notes and then they, they go back through them. Hey, you know, a couple months ago, you, know, you asked prayer for this specific thing. How, how is that going? And so the whole group does it. And so we have a feel where we're, we're carrying each other's burdens together. And that's how God intends it and designs it. Key number three. And I purposely wanted to spend more time on that one for obvious reasons. We must heed the warnings. There are strong warnings in the book of Hebrews. We, we need to keep listening to those warnings and we need to urge others with those warnings. Verse 26 through 31. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I'm not going to say much about this one this morning, but it's a big deal to turn your back on Jesus, to stomp on him, to put him under your feet, to reject him. I don't think this is unique to our day and age, but it is certainly trendy for Christian-raised young adults to turn away from Jesus. And I think at times there's temptations that have been created by churches and Christians that we haven't always lived well or loved well. But ultimately, to just stomp on Jesus and turn away from him, that, that's not a small thing. They're going to meet the Lord face to face. When we meet the Lord face to face, you do not want to be one who rejected Jesus and told others to reject Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus died for our sins. He didn't have to do that. He did that out of love. And so to turn our backs on him and reject him, it's a huge thing. If you're on the the fence with that. It would be the worst mistake of your life. There's nothing worse you could do than rejecting Jesus as Lord and Savior. So if you haven't trusted in Him, He's a mighty Lord and Savior. You can be confident in Him 
and rest in him. Key number four, we must endure by faith, anticipating our great reward. One of the ways we endure is by remembering God's past grace. Look at verses 32 and 33. But recall the former days when you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. What he's saying is you guys have been through it before. You've experienced suffering before. You've been disillusioned before. And you kept turning back to Jesus, and he was faithful. Keep doing it now. Keep remembering he will be faithful. Endure by remembering you have an eternal hope. Look at verse 34. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. They really suffered. They lost home and possessions. And, and we're going to see this clearly next week. But he said, you, you had something better. We have a heavenly home awaiting for us if we are believers in Jesus Christ. Nothing will compare to that. Any loss here is incomparable to the reward that awaits you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Keep your gaze upward and outward. Endure by remaining confident in Jesus. Verse 35, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while in the coming, one will come and will not delay. See, Jesus is going to return. That's a real certain thing that will happen. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But listen to this. But we, believers in Jesus, are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So if you're a believer in Jesus, God gives us provision and means to help us endure. We draw near with confidence. We must hold fast. We must heed these warnings. And we must endure by faith, anticipating our great reward. Let's all stand and we're going to pray. And if the band can come up,